Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right, gang. Uh, go ahead and grab your seats. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today and uh, getting close to closing out chapter 4. And one thing I want to show you um, that's, that's kind of forming over these four chapters so far is, is kind of a rhythm that's happening with the church. Um, if you were to think back to Christ's crucifixion and what happened there, he, he gets arrested. He's their leader of leaders. He's their senior pastor. He's, he's the one that's kind of running the charge on their ministry, uh, their group. And, and he gets arrested as he's preaching and proclaiming himself to be God, himself to, to be the one who is actually sent to be the Messiah to, to ultimately provide for the people's salvation. He gets arrested for this. They're calling him a blasphemer. blasphemer. Um, and, and basically, they're, they're trying to crack down on him. And so what happens after that, after he is arrested um, and obviously put in prison, and then from there he's tried and crucified, and we know he resurrects three days later, the next thing he does is he sends to the church um, a, a bunch of people who are in fear and anxiety over the fact that, hey, our, our, our leader was just arrested and was just murdered and was just, um, it's like, they're in this place of like, we, we don't know. We're kind of ha- at a fragile foundation right now on what to do. And, and what, what Jesus tells them to do is go to, um, go to Jerusalem, go to the upper room, and I want you just to pray. I want you to pray. And as you're there praying, I want you to know that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. And He's going to empower you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to provide you what you need. Because you are in this season right now of incredible fear and anxiety. And the next thing we know is the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit lands on the people. And He comes in like a, a, a loud, mighty wind roaring through the house. And people start doing things that they were unable to do before. They're speaking in other tongues and people are hearing them in their own language and the gospel is spreading and people are getting saved and and it's this extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people. And then what's the next thing that happens? The next thing that happens is now there's another leader. So kind of Peter takes the charge on where Jesus was the primary one doing all the teaching and preaching for this group for three years. Now Jesus is gone and he's appointing Peter to kind of come in and do the preaching and teaching. And so Peter does what his master and his leader does, and and that is preach and teach. And so Peter gets up and he starts preaching and he starts teaching and he starts spreading the gospel and he's starting to tell people everything that Jesus had told and taught him and what happens Peter at the end of both sermons that he's preaching and teaching gets arrested drug off stage and thrown in prison and immediately fear and anxiety again start to fall they're they're threatening Peter they're threatening him that we're gonna we're gonna um, ultimately pull back on the the uh, amenities and pleasures that you have being a Jew in our culture. We're going to take that away from you. We're going to strip it from you. We're going to literally take anything that provides a comfort for you if you continue speaking in the name of Jesus to the point that you remember what we did to Jesus. If you keep doing this, we're going to kill you just like we killed Jesus. And so there's threats that are coming on Peter and John. And so as these threats are coming to them, the same thing that ultimately happened to Jesus, what do they then do? And this is what we looked at last week. 
they then go and pray. They do just what Jesus told them to go and do when there was fear and anxiety being driven in and amongst the people of God. So they go and they pray, and they prayed asking God for boldness. And then what happens is what we looked at last week is as they're praying for God to come and show up, you have the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so where a lot of times we look at Pentecost as being kind of this monumental moment in which the Holy Spirit was poured out and extraordinary things happened, things that people weren't able to do, just kind of like flipping a switch. Oh yeah, I'm just going to go and speak in another language right now. And I'm going to have other people understand it in their language, even though I'm speaking a different language. Like this is, that's not something you can just download and upload into your mind and just start doing when you leave from this place. But that's exactly what the Holy Spirit was doing. So they began to speak with boldness. And as they're speaking with boldness and as they're preaching and as they're teaching, people are getting saved again. The cool thing, though, is in both of those scenarios, Pentecost and this second outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is that for one, we know that Pentecost isn't just one event. We know that the Holy Spirit is going to do it again. And he does it in this scene. He does it in Acts chapter 4. He pours himself out. That is a rule of thumb that we can use. Anytime we want the Holy Spirit to be poured out, just do what they did. Pray. Ask him. Holy Spirit, please show up and do something that we cannot do ourselves. Show up and do something extraordinary amongst ordinary people that we can look at and say only God could accomplish that. Only God could actually make that happen. And so when, in both of those moments, when that happened, there was responses from the people. And the first one we looked at in Acts chapter 2, 42, was that they were devoting themselves. So a response of the Holy Spirit pouring out to them was them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the Greek there, which is kind of the intercourse of relationships. It's just this devotion, deep devotion, longing to be for one another, and a deep devotion, longing for the Word of God to instruct them and to guide them and to direct them on the way in which they're going to operate in their relationship with God and also in their relationships with others. And so that was how the Holy Spirit fell on them and then guided them in the way in which the community was going to operate and function. And today what we're going to be walking into and looking at is as the second Holy Spirit outpouring on the people happened, we're now looking at what was the next response from them. So anytime the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, anytime the Holy Spirit's working within your heart, working within your mind, working within your life, there's going to be a response that happens from us that is God working in our mind, working in our heart, developing us to now operate in a way that is Christ-like, that is holy, that is good, that is righteous, that is going to, to produce fruit not only in me, but also going to produce fruit that is beneficial for others around me as well. And so that's what we're going to be seeing in this passage today. Acts chapter 4, we're looking at 32 through 35. And, and I was going to cover a little bit more, but we're going to split it up between this week and next week. And so if you want to get the whole thing, then you got to come back um, next week. And so um, today's kind of going to be more of just laying the foundation for this idea of generosity um, and then next week, we're going to be looking at two scenarios. Uh, one, how Barnabas was 
um, impacted from the Holy Spirit falling and then how Ananias and Sapphira were, were not impacted by the Holy Spirit falling and yet both of them tried operating in a way that was the fruit. One led to life and leadership in the church and flourishment and the other leads to um, death and suicide for themselves. And so, so, so this idea of what we do with what the Holy Spirit does is, is, is a heavy and weighty passage. I mean, because we're, we're literally going to be talking about one that leads to life and one that leads to death. And so be like Barnabas, don't be like Ananias. That's title for next week. Um, sounds good to me. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now, just to kind of give a little bit of background on the number there. Remember, when Jesus left, there was about 120 people. At Pentecost, there was added about 3,000 people on that day. So let's just 3,120 estimate around that. Peter's second sermon that he preached, the one that we looked at um, just two weeks ago, when he preached that one and then he's arrested off stage, there were 5,000 men who were added to the number that day. And so they're not counting women and children. Um, so they could estimate anywhere from 10 to 12,000 people added to the church at that time. So you take roughly 10 to 12,000, add the 3120. We're at around a 15 to 18,000 member church, if my numbers are correct. Um, and so rough estimate, okay? The full number of those, all of those who are present there, believed um or for all the oh, let me just let me just start that one over now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, um, owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And so, the first thing that I want us to see here is the full number of those who believed. That's wildly important for us. Who believed? So anything that follows this as a direct response to that are going to be those who truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and that he's going to ultimately come back and do what he says he's going to come back and do. So there's, there is full trust, full faith, full belief in the person and work of Jesus. So anything and everything that, that flows out from their life there is going to be dictated, directed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news for you and the good news for those around you. And so if we do not believe that, if we do not trust that, if we do not have faith in who Christ is and the community that Christ is creating called the church, if we're not trusting what he is ultimately accomplishing, then none of this stuff matters, even if we try to go through the motions of it, which is what we'll, call, we'll talk about next week. So all of it hinges upon whether or not there's true belief that actually gets to the heart's strings that pulls on us. It actually gets to the anxieties and the fears that we have when it comes to things and people. 
So they were all in belief of this person, Jesus Christ. And therefore, because they're in belief of him, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, when you're looking at 12, 15, 18, whatever, a a lot of people, when you're looking at all these people, do you think every single one of them have everything in common? No. We know at Pentecost, I mean, it is just a smorgasbord of people. You've got people from the east, west, north, south. You've got, if we're looking at our context culture, you've got Burmese, you've got black, you've got white, you've got generational diversity, you've got socioeconomic diversity, you've got anybody and everybody who could not be more different than one another, which is why the Spirit had to come and drop tongues on them in order for them to understand each other because they couldn't understand each other when they're just trying to speak to one another. If you've been to another country and you're trying to ask for directions, you understand that. It's not going to work well for you. I've been to Haiti multiple times, and whenever I preach in Haiti, I have to have a translator because my French Creole Spanish does not work that well when it comes to that. Literally, all I can say in Haitian is muy poco no complain, which means I don't know what you're saying. That was like the first thing they taught me. And so this idea is we need the Spirit to fall in order to bring commonality amongst us, but it's not commonality based on background or giftings or ethnicity or socioeconomic status. It's, it's not let's all just become white, middle-class, middle-aged people. Like It's not saying that, but rather it's saying let's all come together and we're in Um, We have this thing in common called Christ, and what we have in common with him is he has a specific mission that he wants to see happen, and therefore we are in agreement together. We are covenanting with one another that we want to see that mission come to fruition because what happens there is Jesus is made much of, God is glorified, and we are freed of all the anxieties that we experience in this life when we are not magnifying Jesus and we are not glorifying. God. And so there's this freedom that's happening, and they are all in common when it comes to this matter. Two things I, I want us to see here that that is kind of the foundational um, or the theological foundation that we need for this, this next kind of application to this. And here's the application I think there's two effects that are ultimately happening here amongst the people they're tightened and their relationship towards others, towards people, and they are loosened in their relationship towards things. They're tightened in their relationship towards one another, and they are loosened in their relationship towards things. They were of one heart and soul. Their affections were in the same place when it came to how they viewed one another, how they interacted with one another. This goes back to the Acts chapter 2, 42, where you can truly see um, the, the inner workings of this, having everything in common. And what does that look like? They were opening up their houses. They were inviting people in for dinner, people who were of different backgrounds than them, people that would probably cause you to be a little nervous. You're probably not going to leave your wallet out on the table. You're going to put it up in your bedroom because there's people of different backgrounds coming into this. There's people that you don't usually rub arms with. 
And all of these people are coming together and they're tightening in their heart for one another. They're tightening in their connection to one another. They're tightening in that koinonia. They're tightening up in the intercourse of relationships in which they view one another as supremely more important than they view trying to uh, establish security or stability or um, um, wealth for themselves. And so they're able to look at, as it says in verse 32, no one said that anything or any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So now they're looking at their possessions. They're looking at anything, my house, my cars, my yard, my, my anything that I own and that I possess. And they're saying if Jesus is willing to pay the price and offering his life in order to bring me into this family of people, this, this community of believers that he is ultimately establishing as the church, if he's paid in order to bring me into that, not only for me to, to be able to experience relationship amongst people, but also to experience relationship with the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, in which I am in perfect union with them because of the blood of Jesus that bought that for me. If God is ultimately doing that, and God is the creator of all things, which in their prayer that we looked at last week, they spent five verses telling God who He is before they looked at two verses of asking anything from Him. Those five verses was, God, you are creator of everything. You're a creator of heavens and earth. You hold everything in your possession. And so if they're now in a relationship with this God who has ownership of everything, who has created everything, and who has um, instilled his son Jesus to be the um, author and perfecter of life, not only that, but he is the sustainer of life, as you see in Colossians 1 where it says, for it was by him, through him, and to him that all things hold their existence. If this is who we are now in relationship with, then that frees me up from any type of anxiety that I should have when it comes to my house and the security that's there. My car and the security that's there. Which I don't have a lot of security in cars because I've had 27 of them. Or just my paycheck and the security and stability that's there. If my Abba Father that we were talking about in that song, if my, my, my heavenly daddy is the one who is ultimately owning all things and possessing all things and distributing to all people through his provision what we need in order for his mission to be fulfilled, in order for us to have everything in common when it comes to loving him and loving others, if he's the one distributing all that, then I have then that should free me up. That should loosen me up on all of my possessions, on all of my things. To where now no longer am I trying to find security and stability and satisfaction in those things, but rather now I'm freed up to be able to say, God's got me. God's going to take care of me. God's going to provide for me. And not only is he going to provide for me, but you realize like God providing for you is never meant to just terminate on you. Anything and everything that God provides for us is not only meant to bless us, but it's meant to bless others around us. God always outgives. God, no one gives more than God. 
And so what God wants to do when he provides things for us is he's saying to us, yes, I'm providing security and I'm providing stability and I'm providing things from myself to you. I'm, I'm giving you things for you to steward, but I want you to steward those things in which you loosen your grips on those things. And now you're able to actually open yourself up to other people around you to be able to look, hey, how can I do what God does with me? God provides needs for me. How can I now look to provide needs for others? God is giving me this in order for me to steward it in such a way in which I'm taking it and making an investment into someone else's life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ to look good, for the sake of God to be seen as generous, for the sake of the Holy Spirit to be able to come in and extraordinarily pour out himself on us so that we then become a people who are no longer selfish, but are rather now selfless in all of our things. He goes on to give just a kind of a couple of roles that are happening here. We see that as the Holy Spirit is poured out once again, the apostles were able to give their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great grace upon them all. Same thing happened last time in Pentecost. Holy Spirit's poured out with great grace. Peter and John and the apostles are preaching and proclaiming the word and sharing testimony of who Christ is. And again, they are doing the exact same thing here. And then verse 34, we see there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, here's, here's where I want to get really practical. Really practical. I want you to sell your houses. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, unless the Lord leads you to do that. We'll talk about that next week. But here's where I want to get practical. By a show of hands, and I want you to be honest. By a show of hands, how many of us in this room have anxiety right now around finances? All right, just look around. Keep them up. Just look around. Look around, all right? So I know another ministry we apparently need to start. We all have anxiety around finances, correct? Where is the root of that anxiety ultimately coming from? Is the root of that anxiety coming from us believing or falling into the lie that what we need is more of what we already have. I mean, is that, is that not American society? Go to, go to any other country, and I'm, I'm faith-based here on that one because I haven't been to a lot of them, but go to any other country. How many places are there in business that are storage units? I'm just interested. I mean, I, like, there's not many, right? But you look around here, and what are they building left and right? Storage units. You go down Michigan, it's every other building. You go down 86th Street, it's every other building. It's just storage units. Why? Because we've bought into the lie in American society that what we need to numb our soul, what we need to satisfy us, what we need is more of what we already have. 
So you have a car, go get a nicer one. You have a house, go get a bigger one. You have a wife, go get a better one. Maybe don't do that. But like there's there's things that we think are going to ultimately satisfy the soul. And so whenever we go and find something that's greater, all we're doing is numbing the soul and then actually leaving ourselves in a worse um, place because usually what we do is we go borrow money in order to then provide or purchase whatever that next thing is. And as soon as that that new kind of sexiness of the new thing rubs off, all of a sudden now we're left with greater debt and we're left with greater anxiety and we're left with greater stress. And what he's what what ultimately they're getting at here in the scriptures is we're coming at this from an incredibly wrong way. It's not to say that we shouldn't have nice things. It's not to say that we shouldn't have bigger houses. But what's the purpose of why we're wanting these things? Are we wanting a bigger house in order to keep up with the Joneses, Joneses next door? Which I literally grew up with Joneses living next door to me. Are we trying to keep up with, with their nice things? And what we're going to constantly be doing is just chasing the rabbit trail of, of never being able to meet up to them. Because as soon as we were able to keep up with them, they're probably going to go get something else. But if our houses were meant to be a conduit to foster relationships in which we can entertain, in which we can engage people, and God places that on our heart, and then God provides the provision in order for us to be able to purchase within our means a place that will foster those things, well, no longer now are we going to have anxiety about trying to find something that's going to provide pleasure for me, but rather we're able to operate in the mindset of, this is not mine, this is the Lord's, He's providing this for me, I'm free from the... the, 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 um, the, the idea that this is going to give me something but rather this is meant for me to be able to give to others so i want a place that's able to bring as many people into the home as we can so that discipleship can happen so that community can happen so that people in acts 2 42 as they were going from house to house breaking bread like we want that to happen i'm not saying we're gonna go buy a mansion and put ourselves in you know, a million dollars of debt. And, well, I just want to entertain. You know, entertain the whole church regardless how big it grows. Like, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. But we're saying think intentionally through the way in which God's designed you and functioned you when it comes to profession and career. Because that's usually going to be tied to a number of value or worth in which you're going to get compensated for that. And then from there, be free to buy. Like, as we're going to see next week, and I don't want to rob next week, but, but this idea of becoming a Christian does not mean that, okay, now all my possessions are just going to be the churches. So let me just go and give it to the church. No, it's, it's still ownership of their own homes. It's still ownership of their own lands. And so they're still free to do with those things what they want to do with them. It's when we start thinking and believing that I, that I have to sell my house and give to the Lord because that's what a good Christian does. No, that's getting back into legalism. That's getting back into law. That's not what Christ ultimately saved us for. But rather, he saved us for the gift of generosity in which we are taking the things we have and using them in order to be a blessing for others. 
to be able to meet the needs of others. And so if one of the biggest needs that is within our community is community itself, then I'm not saying sell your house, give it to us so that we can put you right back in the house in order for you to have a small group in your home. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is use your home not for the sake of just, I've got a big house and so I'm awesome, I'm better than my neighbor. No, use your house to be a place in which you can foster community, which you can invite people in, get them around your dinner table, get them around or on your couches in which you can dive into deep conversations because one of the biggest needs that we had when we did our surveys back in December and January is that our people are desperate for authentic, deep community. They're desperate for people who are not only going to celebrate with them the wins of life, but are going to mourn with them the losses of life. They're going to get into those places of your heart and your soul and say, where are the fear? Where are the anxieties? Where are the things in which you're not trusting God? And how can I be of a, how can I be a tool? How can I be a resource? How can I love you? How can I pray for you? How can I make provision? How can I provide something for you? Like it literally, if we're in a place in which someone is, is really struggling financially and has not been able to figure out what their career is going to look like to help kind of make some provision for that, then we step up as a church and we'd be able to help meet some needs of our own people within our church. This is a response of the people when the Holy Spirit had fallen on them was they began loosening up their possessions, their wealth, their resources, and they started looking outwardly at the people around them and saying, how can I meet needs with the things that I have? Because I'm now seeing that the things that I have are not truly overall my own in the sense that they're meant to provide satisfaction, security, and stability for me. I've got God for that. God provides all that. So since God provides all that, how can I now be generous with what I have to where I'm meeting the needs of those around me? Man, that's, that's what it means to be the church. And yes, there are, there are instances in which it's bringing and laying down at the apostles' feet. And we'll get into more of this next week and the idea of just tithes and offerings in which we're bringing resources for the ministry, for the mission of God to be, to be resourced, to be um, ultimately accomplished and fulfilled as it goes out. In our society, I wish that money was not tied to that, but here's the, the thing that I'm growing more in. Because you'll hear me, I, and, and, and I want to publicly apologize for this. You don't hear me maybe once every, what, 20 weeks, mention an offering. And part of that was kind of like, we'll just ninja the offering, like, you know, throughout the course of the church. And, and like, we'll just kind of let it be this kind of side, subtle thing in which people just will just give to it. They'll just figure out a way to give to it. And, and pretty much 100% of you have just figured out a way to, to give to it. Like you see it on the, 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 the weekly email that goes out. It's right at the bottom, give to TDC. You see it on our website. You see a little bit more theology on our website for why we give and where to start giving. And, and it's basically three stages. It's like if you, if you don't give, just start somewhere. Um, if you do give, uh, have kind of a, a place in which it's, leading towards sacrificial giving, but also flowing out of generosity. So you want to do it. You want to give in some ways that hurts at times. And then there's the other way of just giving consistently. 
And so just consistently operating out of a way in which there's generosity flowing from you because it's become a liturgy of your life. It's become a way of your life. It's become something that I, I it's not that I can't afford to give, it's that I can't afford not to give because of the, the fruit that comes from this. The, the, the peace that I receive from knowing that I'm loosening myself of the things that I possess and I'm being more generous and tightening my heart to the mission of God and seeing other people to be able to come, know, to, come to know Him and to then be able to enter into the same loosening that I'm experiencing. So I'm going to be teaching more on that in the weeks to come. I'm going to be teaching more on the idea of why there are tithes and offerings. Because it's not all meant to just pay rent and just pay personnel and just to pay salaries and pay staff and to pay ministry expenses. Like at the end of the day, there, there are organizational things that are tied to budgets that we have. But all of those things are meant to fall under the umbrella of our philosophy of ministry that is ultimately going to seek God being known, disciples being made, and the gospel going out to continue spreading in Indianapolis, in the Midwest, in the nation, and then overseas as well. So anything and everything that we, that we budget as a church that people are generous towards in giving is to seek out those things for the gospel to spread to people. And so, for example, I'll just use this theater as, as one. The Bible tells us to gather, to gather the saints for, for worship, to gather people together in an assembly in which we want to see um, the gospel preached, songs to be sung, the church to pray, the church to go to communion together. Like all of that are rhythms and liturgies in which the church used to do in gathering together in the first century. And so we're always looking for spaces in which we can get all of us together and to be able to create space for us to add new people into that mix. Now, I'm not saying that we, we did that in-house for about six months, and as we were in-house for about six months, it got to where, okay, living room wasn't big enough, and so we're moving into kitchen, we're moving into dining room, and so, like, it gets to where it kind of falls in on itself, and then you've got kids running around, and it gets running hectic, and so, okay, let's move out of that space, and this was the space that we moved into, and so continue to foster the gathering of the saints we pay four hundred dollars a week for this place and so that's an investment that we're making in order for there to be a space for us to gather the saints together now if you were to look at that and say man four hundred dollars a week we might be able to spend that elsewhere that might be able to go towards a greater mission elsewhere well guess what i'm not married to this place like, I'm not putting all my eggs in this basket that, that this movie theater is going to help the district church increase its capacity in order for more people around the, the, the city of Indianapolis and Fishers and Carmel and anywhere and everywhere to be able to come in and hear the gospel preached, to hear the gospel sung, to hear the gospel prayed over, to hear the gospel participated in through communion, to do those things. And so my charge to you as members of the district church is find a spot. Find a spot that's cheaper than $400 a week and say, hey, let's consider this as an option. It might be a tent and a, a field, but you know what? 
it's got outlets where we can plug some sound in. So let's figure that out. Hey, it might not be a Sunday morning, but it might be a Sunday night space. But you know what? That would free us up to be able to invest more dollars elsewhere that can go to meeting people's needs. So let's look at this option rather than this, this option. What I'm telling you is that because we as a church want to maximize the dollars that are being given out of your generosity. We want to make sure our heartbeat is that those dollars are going towards ministry of the mission of the gospel, getting to people's hearts and minds for them to be able to hear it and have access to it. So, like, don't just think, man. Facilities is a gig that Dwayne has to find out, you know. Like when we found this place, like I, you know, I had gone to like 30 different places around Indy before we were able to actually find this, this spot. But again, I'm not saying that this is, this has served a great purpose, but you know what? This also has, I know I'm off on a way tangent here, but you know what? We're going to go. So yes, this has, um, let's see, the first time y'all came to this one, was it hard to find? Yes. You know why it's hard to find? Because we have parameters here. We can't put signs on mall property unless we want to pay $3,000 a month. So if you want to be extra generous and create an opportunity for more people to be able to see the fact that our church is here and to have arrows and signs pointing to where we're actually at, then it's going to be about $3,000 a month. You want to write the check? Go for it. I'd prefer spending that money elsewhere. All right? Invite someone put a t-shirt on that's got arrows and we'll place them out in different places. That might be a cheaper route to go, but we need volunteers to be able to do that at the same time. All I'm saying is we want a space that's providing opportunity for us to reach people with the gospel. This is the cheapest space we found so far, centrally located to where everybody lives. But you are free to look. Free to find something that is different, unique, might not have a steeple, might have a steeple, whatever, and just email me, talk to me, come to me. Hey, have you considered this? I know it's a pool, but hey, who cares? We'll figure it out. We'll do baptisms while we're there, all right? We'll just whole church, jump in the pool. We're going to do church in the pool. Um, terrible. I'm going to close this out. Um. The way I want to close this out is just bringing it back to this idea of fear and anxiety. And the gospel is meant to produce in us a freedom from that. What we know by and far is that every single one of us in this room has fear and anxiety tied to finances. I know that, guys. I know the pain that you feel. I've been a pastor for 12 years. I know the pain when it comes to finances. But with that, I also know that what God is preaching to us every single day, I've got you. I've got you. We're going to see later in the book of Acts that he actually says that he has determined beforehand the boundaries in which we live. So it's not an accident the house you live in. 
It's not an accident the city you live in. It's not an accident that you've met the people that you met and that you have the neighbors that you have and that you have the jobs that you have and that you're in the spheres of influence and circles that you have. It's not an accident because what God has done is he's placed you where he's placed you in order for him to provide for you and to make provisions for you so that there can be some security and some stability. And there are going to be times where there's not security and stability so that it reminds us that, oh yeah, God's the one we're trusting, not these things over here. But he's provided us things in which we're going to look at those things and steward those things. We're going to steward our house. We're going to steward our budgets. We're going to steward our cars. We're going to steward our time and our resources and our giftings. And how can I loosen myself up? How can I free myself of those things that I'm placing trust in and now place trust in God to use those things in order for me to be a blessing to provide needs of others? That's where I want us to be. That's the sweet spot. That's where you're going to have people who are, um, well, for lack of a better word, fun to be around. Fun to be around because they're a part of the mission. They have everything in common when it comes to, hey, man, let's, let's do whatever we can to get Jesus to people. Let's do it. Let's go after it. How can I loosen myself up? How can I do a time audit throughout the week? To be able to see, how can I respend this time that I'm investing in this thing over here? How can I respend this money that I'm investing over here? How can I, you know, how can I do those things? And so time audits are great. Budgeting is great. Look at those things and say, not how can I provide more for myself, but rather how can I provide more needs for those around me? I promise you, I promise you, in that space, anxiety lifts, stress lifts. And peace and comfort truly begin to fall on us when we're looking to meet the needs of others rather than just the needs of ourselves. Let's trust God for those things. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, thank you for your provision. Thank you that you are creator of heaven and earth, and that includes everything in earth. You're a creator over our jobs. You're a creator over our houses, our cars. You're a creator over our finances. God, we ask that you would operate as the chief um, financial officer of our lives. Um, that you would be able to guide and direct us to be able to see how are we investing our money when it comes to our homes and our cars and our futures and our retirement and, and all of those things in order for us to be able to see how it is that you want us to live in a way that is sacrificially and generously towards others as well as being able to meet our own needs. God, loosen us of those things and tighten us, bind us to one another to be able to see and meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And to be able to see and meet the needs of those who have not yet come into the family of God, who have not yet come into the community of believers. And let's be a blessing to them. Let's, let's be free to give and love and serve 
those around us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at